Welcome to the Calvary Baltimore Weekly Sermon. Calvary meets in the Joppa-Falston area between Baltimore and Bel Air, and our pastor is Josh Plantholt. Come join us on a Sunday. Our service info is at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. And now, here's this week's teaching. Well, happy Lord's Day. Uh, We are uh, in the 13th chapter of Revelation this morning, because apparently... This is the book that never ends, and it goes on and on, my friends. Now, we're picking up pace, warp speed. We're more than a verse at a time. Um, I had a big, long, impressive introduction to today's text, and God told me to throw it away, so we're going to hop right on in. Uh... We're going to start at verse 1, and and just so you understand the context briefly, uh, chapter 12 ends with Satan standing on the sand of the seashore. Uh, And so he's there standing like he's about to go into the water, but then we find out, no, no, he calls something out of the waters. Uh, And so he has committed himself to more war against the Lord and against his anointed, and he is now warring against the church. And so he stands at the seashore, Revelation chapter 13, verse 1, and I, this is John, he is the prophet recording these things for us, I and I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads with ten diadems on its horns. And those are crowns, diadems, crowns. And blasphemous names on his head. Let's pause here. Satan, the dragon from chapter 12, draws a new seven-headed beast out of the ocean that looks almost identical to himself. Like Satan, this beast has seven heads. He has ten horns. But unlike Satan, who had seven crowns, this beast has ten. So they are alike, but they are different. And on its head were blasphemous names. This is contrasting. If you remember, chapter 12 begins the second section of Revelation. And so we want to start looking for contrast between the second half and the first half. Well, in the first half, we saw the 144,000 with the name of the Lamb written on their heads. Now we see the counterfeit to this, the beast with seven heads with blasphemous names on his heads. So this beast is not marked as holy, it is marked as infernal, as unholy, as blasphemous. Verse 2, and the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, its mouth was like a lion's, and to it the dragon gave his power and his authority and grant his authority. Now when you read this, if you uh, ever go through Revelation in your own personal devotion, This is when you go, what the heck did I just read? How is it a leopard? How is it a bear and a lion? How does any of this make sense? Well, in Matthew chapter 4, Satan offers Jesus all authority, uh, but but to my knowledge, uh, this and possibly Revelation 17, but I, I believe it's here, this is the only place in the entire Bible where Satan is willing to share his throne. What this tells us is that this sea beast who looks like the dragon, who has a mouth like the dragon, 
who shares the authority of the dragon and the authority of the throne of the dragon is someone who is from and like the dragon. This sea beast that Satan calls out of the waters is the Antichrist. This is the serpent from Genesis, the seed of the serpent from Genesis chapter 3. If you remember Genesis chapter 3, he points to the woman, he, he points to this serpent, he goes, your seed is going to bruise her seed's heel, the woman, but her seed's going to crush your head. <laughs> this is the seed of the serpent from Genesis chapter 3. This is the man of lawlessness Paul talks about from 2 Thessalonians. This is the boastful horn Daniel prophesied in Daniel chapter 7. This is the worthless shepherd from Zechariah chapter 11. This is the Antichrist that John pens after the book of Revelation in 1 John. We are now being introduced to the second person of the evil trinity, of the anti-trinity. As there is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, so Satan is a great deceiver. He is a great counterfeiter. As he has made himself the anti-father, and now he has an anti-son, and by the end of chapter 13 we're going to meet the anti-spirit. In Revelation chapter 12 we were introduced to the dragon, now we meet the son. In two weeks, we're going to meet the false prophet, the anti-spirit. Now, the timing of all this, now we're about to read, will happen in the end times as the evil trinity will let loose uh, chaos. He will wreak, wreak havoc upon humanity. And the gospel, When the triune God revealed himself in the first century in the person of Jesus Christ, the gospel changed everything. God changed everything. The people didn't care for the old like we do now. There was no such thing as hospices of peaceful deaths. There was no such thing as orphanages in the early first century. The gospel has changed everything. And it has brought women's liberation. It has brought hospitals. It has brought fair judicial systems, though we're falling apart from that right now. It has brought education. Think about all the major universities in our country. They're Christian roots. The gospel of Jesus, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit has changed everything for the better. And so now when the evil trinity comes into full fruition in the end days, it is going to change everything for the worse. It is going to be a poison on this planet. Now, it, it, isn't it interesting that the Antichrist is described as a sea beast that also has animal characteristics? Now, God's not in the business of wasting words, now is he? There's a reason for this. Well, I saw a beast like a leopard. Its feast, how is a sea beast like a leopard? How does that make sense? And its feet were like a bear's and its mouth was like a lion. How does all of this work? Well, this is drawing, if you remember, Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, John said that this word was seminoed to him. In the Greek, that means symboled. So John was expecting, we, we were warned in a very first verse, we were to look out for symbols. Well, how do we interpret symbols? The newspaper? No. <laughs> well, there's 65 other books before Revelation. That is how you interpret the symbols in the book of Revelation. Well, uh, the, this leopard, this lion, this bear, all of these symbols come from a chapter in Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 7, Daniel sees four beasts. The first was a lion. It represented Babylon. 
Uh, the second he saw was a bear, and it represented the Medes and the Persians. The third beast he saw in Daniel 7 was a, was a, was a leopard, representing the Greeks. And the fourth beast, with ten horns, represented Rome. Now, what I believe God is showing John and the early church and, and us is that the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the, the, the Romans... All of the evil and the brutality of these kingdoms. You remember when Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh? You know why he didn't want to go to Nineveh? If they caught a prisoner of war, they would skin them and hang them on the walls of their city. This is the brutality of the early, early humanity that the gospel has changed, by the way. All of the brutality of Persia, of Greece, of Rome, all of these sins are going to culminate in the reign of the Antichrist. The reason he is a part of all of these kingdoms is because he is the culmination of the evil of all of these kingdoms. The evil, the, the, the bear of Persia was a foreshadow to the more evil, vicious bear of the Antichrist. The evil of Babylon, the lion, is a foreshadow of the greater evil, the lion of the Antichrist. When this evil man comes on the scene, he will be the culmination of all things evil. Every life lost in war, every tyrant cracking the whip, he is the apex, the intensification of all things evil and brutal and cruel and rebellion against God. And you know what First John tells us, don't you? That there are people alive yet even today with that spirit. As we are about to read, and as we read the book of Revelation, you'd think, boy, how could anyone follow such evil? It happens all the time. Watch an old World War II documentary of Germany when Hitler's given his speeches. Millions of people are going, yes! People are doing it today! <laughs> The world will see the brutality of this man and go, finally, my Savior. And they will follow him to their death. Verse 3. <clears throat> One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled that they and as they followed the beast. There you go. Like Jesus, this false Christ, this antichrist will be publicly, mortally wounded. Satan's what? The great counterfeiter. Well, so is the evil trinity. And if the anti-son is a counterfeit of Jesus, what did Jesus do? He died and resurrected. What do you think the antichrist is going to do? He's going to get wounded, possibly die, and he's going to seemingly resurrect. Is this all a fake? Is this early chapters of Exodus with fake uh, magi Pharaoh's magicians and they... Maybe, but it seems that he dies and he comes back. And the world's going to look at this and go, finally, our Savior. Again, the evil trinity, Satan, his son, and his spirit, they are counterfeiters and liars. And there is just enough truth in there to go, ah, maybe this is it. But it's a trap. Verse 4. <clears throat> I told you we were moving so fast. Isn't this a miracle? We're on verse 4 already. <laughs> and they worship the dragon. Remember this thing's 
bloody with seven heads and curse words on its face. Yes, our guy. And they worshiped the dragon for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? I ran through this not too long ago, but, but when you're reading the Bible, have you ever noticed? You'll look at the Father and go, okay, I need to worship the Father. Jesus has made peace between us and the Father. And you look to the Father and the Father goes, oh, no, 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 look at my Son. And then you go to Jesus and Jesus goes, oh, well, no, I'm not really, you know, you want to look at the Father. But then Jesus says, but hey, you know, it's better that I disappear because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. So you better look for him when he comes. And so the Holy Spirit comes. You go, finally, he's here. And he goes, you got to look at Jesus and the Father. And so they're all just pointing at each other, giving honor to one another. No matter where we look, they're always giving honor to another person of the evil trinity. Well, Satan is a counterfeiter. And here we see in Revelation is that the Antichrist gets healed and resurrected, seemingly. And what does he do? He gives glory to his dad. And the whole world falls into a literal Satan worship. Because of the work of his son. Now the difference is, the reason the Father, Son, and the Spirit, the, the triune God, point to one another is for our good. It's for the glory of God. For our salvation. The reason the evil trinity does this is for our damnation. Very big difference. Verse 5. And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. For three and a half years. The Antichrist will lead the world into satanic worship. Now, trying to create accurate timelines for the book of Revelations, kind of like fishing with your bare hands. Like, you can do it, but good luck. Have you noticed I haven't given you any time charts or pie charts or this is when we're out of here and this is when this is, and Gog and Magog, tank. I got a big scary picture of a helicopter coming and fire. And uh, the, the reason we don't do this thing is because mankind has been horrible at guessing the timing of God. We have not gotten it right once. So I, I, trying to guess the timing of these things is very difficult. But it seems there's enough evidence here. And I could be wrong, so hold this loosely. It seems that the three and a half years of the Antichrist reign, that, that's really evil, that's really brutal. When he is wounded and resurrected, that seems to start the back half of the Great Seven, the Great Tribulation. The last three and a half years of humanity before Jesus returns are going to be the most brutal. Now the Antichrist will come on the scenes in the last day and he will have a prominent role in world politics and halfway through again he's wounded, he is healed and this starts the really bad last three and a half years, the 42 months we just read of the great tribulation, the seven last years before Jesus returns and he starts slaying some folks. <laughs> uh, verse 6. <coughs> So this beast, verse 6, it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God. Blaspheming his name, one, Kai, and his dwelling, two, Kai, that is, those who dwell in heaven, three. He blasphemes the name, 
He blasphemes God himself, the audacity. He was in the throne room of God. He knows who he is and he mocks. Which proves that the problem with evil is not always a lack of education, now is it? <laughs> he, knocks, he, he mocks God. He mocks heaven. There's no such thing as heaven. Oh, you foolish knuckle-dragging Christians. And he knocks those who dwell in heaven. The Christians, the angels, and the cherubim. And that's today's text. Can you believe we got six verses? This is a miracle. I know, I know, I know. This is going to seem very strange, but hang in there with me. I'm a strange fellow. Today I want to talk about pleasure. You see, God has rightly made mankind to want to be full of joy to want to have pleasure in what we're doing. For example, in the Garden of Eden, God told man to be fruitful and multiply, to have and make lots of kids. Now, God did not have to make that a pleasurable experience, now did he? Yet he did. And God placed man in a garden with all these beautiful fruit trees, and they had to eat the one they couldn't, but they had all these beautiful fruit trees. He didn't have to make any of them taste good, now did he? But he did. You ever try a fresh mango? Oh, man, it's so good. And God did that because God's happy. And he wants us to be happy when we eat his creation. And then God made our solar system. (laughs) He didn't have to make the night sky beautiful with all the constellations. And sometimes the Milky Way bleeds into the picture and the aurora borealis and the the moon sun wax and wanges and it glows and it's beautiful he didn't have to do that yet he did and when he made the animals he didn't have to make puppies adorable (laughs) or monkeys funny or penguins waddle yet he did and inside of human physiology god has hardwired place systems of you in you like dopamine to help us find pleasure in hard work. Like, I'm sweating, I'm tired, I broke a nail, and my back hurts, but God, it feels good to plant these bushes, you know? God's placed that in us. He's, des- he's placed these systems in us that desire, that they find joy and pleasure in change, in the pursuit of change. He didn't have to do any of this. <laughs> Yet he did. God has created this world to be filled with pleasures for us to enjoy. And the truth is, we are made into the image of God. And he's hardwired humanity to want to be joyful as God is joyful. And when, <coughs> and when we are not joyful, you ever have seasons where you're anxious and depressed? It's not a part of you where you go, well, this is the way it should be. You know something's wrong. Because you have not been hardwired to be perpetually miserable. We know there there is a desire in us to want to be happy. And this is not a bad thing. This is what Solomon writes in the book of Ecclesiastes. The apex of a mature wisdom and faith in God Almighty is to find enjoyment in the things that God has placed in our hands. He says it over and over and over again. 
So God has hardwired us. Now I want to look at this in two ways. True joy and pleasure and false joy and pleasure. And let's start with the false, huh? First, false pleasure. In today's passage, Satan and the Antichrist are going to lead billions of people into a perverse, self-destructive, false pleasure. You see, (laughs) Satan's not an idiot. (laughs) And he knows full well that God has created mankind to desire joy. And so Satan weaponizes mankind's desires towards his evil plans. For example, God did not have to create men and women to be physically attracted to one another. (laughs) He could have made procreation as enjoyable as turning in your taxes. (laughs) And maybe for some of you that is the way to, I don't know, but... (laughs) No pointing, please, Uh, but... He made us attracted to one another. (laughs) He made, you know, the the old joke is when Adam saw Eve, he went, whoa, man. Uh, The real, uh, when Adam saw her, he went, what is this? The the monkey's fun, but this thing, this is my, I'm keeping you. Physical attraction is a godly gift. It's a godly thing. And how often does Satan take this godly desire and pervert it into lust and pornography and adultery or self-image issues all the time? Or how about wine? Let's go there. Jesus' first miracle was water and the wine. Why? Because Jesus liked the good time. He was bringing celebration into the world. And the Lord's Supper, he commanded his people to drink wine. He said, take, drink this. This is my blood. The reason, part of the reason, is because wine makes people joyful and celebrate. Or think of all the feasts in the Old Testament. God commanded his people. He demanded that they would drink wine or beer in his presence. Because God wanted his people to attend his party and have fun. And be pleasurable and celebrate and make merry over what God has provided. If you have grapes for wine, God has provided a harvest. It was a symbol. It was a picture of thank you, God. Yet how often does Satan take things like alcohol and lead people down a very dark path? All the time. Now as we look at Revelation chapter 13, the world has gone through the seals. The world has gone through the trumpets. And there has and will be tremendous upheaval and trial in the world in the last day. And Satan, through his son, the Antichrist, Satan will offer a false way out. In the last days, and even to a degree now, but in the last days, Satan will have plunged the world into absolute chaos. In absolute division. You notice how divided people are now? Well, it's going to get worse. (laughs) An absolute division. He's going to bring hell on earth as he's attempting to do now. And Satan, in his craftiness, he will plunge the world into hell and then he will offer a way out of the hell that he's created. And a shared sense of community and a new religion, Satan worship, and a new enemy in God, and a new monetary system as we come to 666 by the end of the chapter. And, and, And... 
in, in the things that he provides. And a lot of what the Antichrist is tapping into and manipulating is man's desire for pleasure. For example, God said it is not good for man to be alone. You know, you ever desire to be with people? Like, I just don't like being alone. God hasn't created us to be alone. To desire a godly community is a good thing. But an evil community is a false pleasure. And Satan's not going to create a community. He's going to create a mob. <laughs> and people want to be accepted. So he creates a mob that most of the world can join and, 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 def and defy and blaspheme the living God. And the reason God is telling us the early church, what is going to happen in the end of the age, is because it informs us of how Satan also presently operates today. Satan's plan, this is, this is the way he's working all through human history. So loved ones, please hear me. Satan creates crisis and then offers a false solution. Satan creates a crisis and then offers a false solution. Biblically, Judas, under the influence of Satan, he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And then Satan provides a way out of his misery by providing a noose. Satan kills Job's whole family and offers cursing God and dying as the way out of his sorrow. In the Garden of Eden, the serpent created crisis of doubt in Eve's mind. Did God really say that? And he offered the fruit as a false solution. Do you see this? So let's apply this to us, right? Let, let's say your life is filled with difficult people. Now, I know that's not the case for anyone here. But let's say your life is filled with difficult people that drive you crazy. Whether it be at work, whether it be at home, whether it be your extended family. But let's say the people in your life regularly stress and wear you out. Now, a satanic solution to your problem, instead of finding godly people to encourage you and build you back up, instead of going to the word of God and letting God build you back up, instead of doing godly things to build yourself back up, the satanic solution would be to make yourself numb to the pain. Satan creates that the crisis that Satan has created in your life will then be met with a satanic false solution like getting high or getting drunk or taking enough anti-anxiety medicines to where you feel nothing anymore or to watch TV for hours on end to where your entertainment has just numbed you to oblivion. This is how Satan works. He creates crisis and then offers a false solution. And the solution that he offers will only make things worse for you. It will only serve his own purposes. Satan taps into your desire to want to be filled with pleasure and joy, and he offers you a false pleasure and joy that doesn't. It may make you numb temporarily, but it actually drives you deeper into misery. Satan knows better than any one of us that hurt people hurt people. And he likes to keep hurt people hurt people. <laughs> and he knows that numb pacified people are ineffective people. If Satan can't kill you and he can't use you, he will settle to make you useless for God. 
But let's say your spouse, you and your spouse are arguing. You're not getting along, which I know would never happen to anyone in here. But let's say you and your spouse are arguing and not getting along. Let's say Satan is attacking your marriage. Well, in his craftiness, he will offer you plenty of temporary false pleasures. He will flood your mind, your computer, your phone, and your person with all sorts of people and things that will burn your marriage to the ground. He creates crisis and then offers a false solution. Loved ones, we must not be ignorant of the schemes of the devil. John 8, says that Satan has been a liar and a murderer from the beginning. If he's working in your life, he's trying to murder or lie to you or most likely both. Well, he's doing both. <laughs> this is why we have to be students of the word. This is why we have to be in God's word. This is why we must be filled with the spirit of truth. This is why we have to get, you know, God commands us to gather this is why we must gather together regularly in the church because we're here to build each other up. And we must do this partly so we may discern the lies when they come because let me tell you, they're coming. How are you to know what's false if you don't know what's true? And I hate to break it to you, Satan, he's smarter than you. <laughs> and he has gotten far more intelligent street smart, sweet, faithful people than you to fall into his traps than yourself. And he has been honing his craft for thousands of years. So unless you are constantly being directed by God Almighty, you will fall for his schemes in some way. When you are worn out, stressed out, anxious, depressed, tired and hungry, you will take his bait if you do not know what a fake lore looks like. Or you've ignored God's warnings. And again, Satan is not dumb. When he's trying to get you, let's say Satan's pursuing you, and he is, newsflash. <laughs> when he's trying to get you, he's not trying to snap right into you, stab somebody at a Krispy Kreme's because they took the last of the glazed donuts. He's not going right to murder in your life. He's not necessarily going right to adultery, right to rage, right to thievery. He'll take little bits at a time. He will take whatever you give him. No matter how small you think it is. And he will take that little crumb. And he will turn it into an avalanche that destroys your life. We must be so on guard against the arrows he has firing at us and our families. And he will take godly things like your kids. Like how beautiful are our children? Some more beautiful than others. You know, my Nathan, when he was born, he looked like an alien. I, and I, it was not a good look. Now he's a beautiful kid, but his eyes, it was like, this kid's going to fall over from those eyeballs, you know. <laughs> He looked like Sid from Ice Age, if you know what that is. <laughs> it was so funny. Uh, he's a great looking kid now, but whoo. Um, how many people turn their children into gods? That will destroy your life. How many people in their desire to be a good spouse 
makes their husband their world, their wife their world, and they, they become God. They become the golden calf in the wilderness. It's very dangerous. Satan will take whatever you give him. <laughs> Which is why Paul tells us we must wear spiritual armor from the tippy top of our head to the tippy toes of our toes. Yeah. For our foe is very crafty. We must be in the word of God and adhere to it. We must. Now secondly, true pleasure. You will never be effective at fighting sin. You will never be effective at resisting sin until you find a greater pleasure than your temptations and sins. You have been hardwired by God to pleasure and to be full of joy and pleasure. We combat sin by finding a greater pleasure than what Satan is offering us. So here's the truth. You ready? Sin is a whole lot of fun. It is a whole lot of fun. It's not a temptation if it's not tempting. <laughs> and Satan knows full well that if he's going to get you to drink his poison, he has to coat it in sugar. And he does. Sin can be a whole lot of fun, but it does kill us. And the way to overcome Satan's temptation is to find something more pleasurable to us than the pleasure that Satan offers. Let me give you an example here. I, I typically try not to pull too many examples from my life, but I couldn't think of anything else to say, so here we are. On Sunday, I love church. Like, I love church so much. If I wasn't the pastor, I'd still love to be here. And you know that because when I'm not teaching, unless I'm somewhere, I'm here. I, I just love to be at church. There's no place I'd rather be. And we'll go tomorrow. Monday morning, I wake up. I wake up way too early. It's like, God, let me sleep in. <laughs> And I give the Lord my morning, and I read, and I pray, and I get my kids ready for school, and I love it. And sometimes I go to the gym and try to work off this ham I'm smuggling, and, you know, we're, we're, we, 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 and then, I, and then I come home, and I read lots of books, and I write lots of things, and I have lots of phone calls, and I love it. And then at some point, I stop, and I cook dinner, and we have a family meal, and I love it, and then... Me and my wife have to clean up the tornado that ran through our house and put the kids to bed. I love putting my kids to bed. <laughs> and here's what I'm getting at. It's not that I'm never stressed, and it's not that I'm, this is the day that the Lord has made all day long. But my Lord always brings me back to peace. When I fall off and I'm a little fussy, he brings me back to pleasure. When you build your life upon the promises of Jesus Christ, when you build your house on the rock, he will sustain you in joy. Every morning I wake up and I, I read my Bible like the Israelites gathering manna in that wilderness. And when I'm getting my kids ready for school, I'm walking with Christ. And when I'm at the gym, I'm pumping iron with Christ. And when I read those books and I write those things and I talk to these people, I'm with Christ. And when I cook dinner and family meal and clean up and all these things, I'm doing it with Christ. And he greets the humble work of his people with pleasures innumerable. You see, in walking with the Lord, 
There is a greater sustained well of pleasure and joy and satisfaction than anything Satan can offer us. Loved ones, what can be had in Jesus Christ is better than the best thing Satan can offer you. And following Jesus does not mean you're never going to have trial. Most of the New Testament was written by people who were either killed or in jail. (laughs) Following Jesus does not mean you're never going to be in trial or have stress or you're going to be perfect. But what it means is, is when you have walked with Christ, you realize there is no other place I'd rather be. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Why? So he get the treasure. Later he says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Loved ones, if you have been fighting a losing battle with sin, maybe the problem isn't that you're not trying hard enough. The problem is you're mostly fighting it alone and fighting something bigger and more evil than yourself. You need to bring Christ in. You need to walk with the Lord of glory. If Jesus who raised if God who if the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you what can't you do Satan was willing to offer Jesus all the kingdoms of the world which means he, Satan is not afraid to give you everything you'd ever want if that means he can keep your soul but please know what he offers is lies and death. He is a liar and a murderer from the beginning. But this is never true with Jesus. <laughs> what does Jesus tell us? He is the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. Je- Jesus is the... See, we can come to the portion to the scripture about Satan and put all the emphasis on the devil. That's wrong. God doesn't tell us about the devil so we can obsess about the devil. God tells us about the devil so it may drive us to Christ. (laughs) And Jesus is the exact opposite of the anti-trinity. Everything Jesus offers is the exact opposite of Satan. Drinking heavily may be fun, but it comes with hangovers. (laughs) And drugs may be feel good until you're addicted. And sex outside of marriage is great until there's the damage, which far worse than the pleasure. Everything Satan offers gets worse and grows more rotten with time. And tragically and ironically, it destroys our pleasure and rots into more misery and more dissatisfaction. But everything our good Lord offers only grows more beautiful with time. To walk with and bring Jesus into your parenting, you know, I... If you haven't realized, when I do something, I'm all in. I'm an all-in sort of fella. Uh, whether that's eating or with people, or well, I'm, a, I'm an all-in sort of fella. And when I, when I first had my, my kids, I loved parent. I, I loved being a parent so much. Like, I, God, when God knit me in my mother's womb, 
Josh is going to love being a dad. That's just the way it is. But by the end of the day, when it's time to put the kids to bed and you're trying to put their pajamas on and they're going, <laughs> you know, and they're throwing things at you. And it's like, you know how to brush your teeth. You start to get wiped out. And I found myself for a while, like bedtime became a drudgery. It's like, I just got to get these kids to bed. And I realized I was in sin. I needed to bring Christ into bedtime. And now almost every night my wife's like, it's getting really late. We got to put these kids to bed. Because I'm reading, you know, last night we were doing David and Goliath. And Nathan really wanted to talk about how Goliath's head was chopped off at the end. You know, and so that turned into a thing. And I was telling them where they buried the head in Golgotha. And my wife's like, well, it's late, man. We got to, these kids are going to be crazy in the morning. But parenting has grown sweeter as I've brought Christ in. And my mornings, I'm sure sleepy like everyone else in the morning. But I've brought Christ in and it's grown sweeter with time. The more we bring Christ in, the more he beautifies. Because in his presence, the Bible says, is fullness of joy. God's people can resist the evil one because we have found that pearl of great price. Because we have found that buried treasure. Because we have found a greater pleasure. Because he strengthens and renews the weary and the heavy laden. He promised he does. So I want to encourage you, as I land the plane here, (laughs) to spend time with the Lord and bring him in. For in his presence is fullness of joy. And Satan... That old pernicious dragon. He's also described in scriptures like a wolf. And the wolf is not afraid of the sheep. He's afraid of the shepherd. And the wolf may carry you off to green pastures, but it ain't so you can graze. It's so he can eat you on a comfortable bed. (laughs) But the Lord leads us to green pastures that he may feed and nourish us. So walk with him. Walk with the Lord. Bring him in and he will beautify your situation. Because following him, what does the Psalm 23 tell us? And we will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of our life. When we follow our good shepherd, not only will we find comfort, even in our valleys of deeper darkness, because he is with us, it ultimately ends to joy never ending. To joy unspeakable. God beautifies our life here on earth, but that's just the beginning of the beautification. We step into heaven and we have an eternity of an intensification of beauty. An intensification of pleasure. It only grows richer with Christ. And hell? The worst moment of hell will not be the day you get thrown in there. It'll get worse. And worse and worse. Because everything Satan touches grows more miserable with time. Turn to the Lord, loved ones. Turn to the Lord. If I may close with a verse, I'd I'd like to. Uh, John 15, 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you, Jesus says. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. God puts God's joy in you that you may have godly joy. 
sustaining joy. Nothing God has can be overcome by the devil. If God has placed his joy in you, it cannot be overcome. Your flesh may rear up and hide it for a moment, but God will bring you back because he restores us to the paths of righteousness. These things I have spoken to you that you may that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you and we praise you. We thank you that you are all things lovely, all things beautiful. God, we ask that you may help us to, to give our lives to you, to, to rest in your provisions, and that we may keep your commands. And God, let us not be ignorant of the schemes of the evil one. <laughs> let us see the teeth of the wolf, whatever he offers. And God, we pray for those in here that may not know you, that they may give their lives to you. And may walk with you from this day forth and forevermore. And maybe, God, maybe there are people in here that are just plain old miserable and sick and tired of being sick and tired. (laughs) Then, God, we pray that you may capture them. And understand that in your presence is fullness of joy. And that as we walk with you, we find greater pleasures than anything Satan, that evil, evil dragon may offer us. We pray for anyone here who needs encouragement that they may pray with our prayer team by the double doors uh, here, or the side door over here. And God, we pray that the body of Christ may be and act like the body of Christ today. Let us build one another up. Let us, let us build the house of this week here this morning. <laughs> and may strengthen one another and, and be a reflection of your love this morning. So be with us now, strengthen us now, and send us out in a mighty, fresh way. And in Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen. Let's stand and worship. Thanks for joining us for today's message from Calvary Baltimore. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email with your questions, prayer requests, or just to say hi. Our email address is calvary.faithlife at gmail.com. If you'd like to donate to support the work God is doing through Calvary Baltimore, go to calvarychapelbaltimore.org and click Donate Now. And if you're in the area, stop by on a Sunday morning. For directions and service times, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. If you can't be here in person, we also live stream on our website and on our Facebook page. We hope you've been blessed by this week's teaching. Until next time, as Pastor Josh says, study the Word to live the Word to share the Word. And join us again for the next Calvary Baltimore Weekly Sermon.